Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, uh, many of my friends, anyway, who were born and raised as, as Christians, we always wonder what it meant to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Right? Like, uh, what, does it mean? what does it feel like to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And in Acts, the filling of the Spirit, that phrase has been, it's repeated often. So likely, we should look at Acts to know, like, some examples of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And uh, in Acts chapter 1 to 7, it was repeated frequently. And I noticed, and this is why I shared with you, that hmm, being filled with the Holy Spirit had a lot to do with being bold. That when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, that almost automatically, almost like correlated, almost like simultaneously, there's boldness involved. That we're bold, there's two boldness. Boldness to approach God in our relationship with Him. So upward boldness, but also boldness across meaning a boldness to proclaim the gospel, a life-giving message to everyone else. Why, but then you might wonder, why do we need boldness to have a relationship with God? Well, we just came out of soul care, didn't we? And part of one of the bold things that we need to do sometimes is to be bold enough to actually admit that we're sinful, that we admit that we're wrong, to admit that we have deep wounds that are still deep hidden behind, in, in our hearts, not even in our hearts, behind our hearts sometimes. Deep wounds that are generational, from our families. Uh, I talked about my, uh, my family's anger management, right? Like deep, deep wounds. So it takes really, takes a lot of boldness to actually come forward to God and say, God, I admit my family's sins, my generational sins. I admit my wounds that I have been throughout my childhood. I admit that this did hurt me even though I thought time would heal it, right? It takes boldness for that. But in order to have boldness, we need the Spirit's help. We need the Holy Spirit to fill us. And so what I realized, and I shared with you that week, was one of the evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit is actually boldness. Boldness to actually have a relationship with God. But also boldness to do, fulfill his purpose. So we checked out Acts 1 to 7, and the most popular passage there is the day of Pentecost, where uh, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they were empowered and equipped to uh, spread the gospel throughout all nations around them. And so, second thing is to, to be bold, to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be bold, but not only bold, but boldness of equipping to fulfill the, whole, the Holy Spirit's urging, right? The tugging. So the Holy Spirit has a purpose. He fills us. And guess what? Nothing's going to stop him. And so we're very bold because uh, we're filled with boldness because we know that the truth is the Holy Spirit is full of power and nothing can stop him. Nothing can stop him. If he tells us and calls us to do something, and, he, and we say yes to him, and we accept him and, and allow him to fill us, like Paul says, who can overwhelm you then? Who can stop you? Right? We're more than conquerors. That's why Paul just said that. Right? It's because the Holy Spirit is power. All right. Last week, we had Patrick uh, come and speak, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed his talk. I don't know about you, but uh, it was uh, quite helpful. And uh, what I got from him uh, was that the Holy Spirit does the whole conversion business. Like, we're not in the conversion business. The Holy Spirit is. I always tell people um, that I'm not even in that pay grade. Because, dude, I'm not the one who's di who died on the cross, right? Like, <laughs> he did. <laughs> so, it's like, I am not in the conversion business. None of us are in the conversion business. We draw people 
We, we, uh, we allow the Holy Spirit to fill us and to reveal the life-giving message to everyone else, but the Holy Spirit does his own thing. He goes wherever he wishes, right? He is, like, he is the uncontrollable wind, like what Patrick said. He goes wherever he wishes, he wills whatever he wills, and he does whatever he desires. And so, therefore, that's actually quite, quite uh, um, encouraging for all of us because we know that God is not controllable. God has no, nobody to be bribed. He cannot be bribed. He cannot be led by anything. He does his own willing. And therefore, whenever we gives us confidence to say, if we approach anybody uh, with the gospel, well, basically, after that, don't worry. It's the Holy Spirit's job. The Holy Spirit does his thing on that individual, and we just continue to pray over that individual. Amen? It's, very, it's a blessing, actually, to find that encouragement, to find that rest, to know that I've done my part, I've, 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 I'm praying, I'm going to continue to pray, and the Holy Spirit's job is now going to take over for us. Now, for those of you who are new here, we, I usually start with a video, either with a movie. Uh, apparently, uh, like uh, some of you have observed, I'm a, very, I'm a Marvel fan more than a DC fan. But anyway, but this one in particular, this particular movie is a documentary, and I don't know if you have seen it, but it's quite good. And uh, there are a lot of quotes there that uh, I wish I could just play everything for the sermon, but I can't, or else I'm not earning my pay. <laughs> okay, so let's like, go on with this one and uh, watch this scene here before we kick off our sermon. Fred didn't like going to the doctor's office. He had stomach problems for a long time, I mean, for several years. Oh, what's that right down there? Take a look at the aquarium. Do you see a dead fish? A dead fish would be one that isn't swimming or breathing or anything at all. Look down there and see, will you? See if you see any. Oh, yes, right there, isn't it? He told me that he was sick. I played a box hour bond for him over the phone. It's like sending a little loving message. When he was very ill, he talked a lot about dying well. To die with the hopes and with the hopes intact. Before he became comatose, he said, do you think I'm a sheep? And we knew what he was talking about because he had been reading in the Bible about the last days with a, with a judgment. It will be decided at the end who is a sheep and who is a goat. And I think the need was always there for being loved, for being capable of being loved. There was a, a little silence, and then I said, Fred, if ever there was a sheep, you're one. Ever had the feeling of just giving up this whole uh, Christian endeavor? You know, like, uh, it's tough out there, isn't it? 
you know, the world is completely against you. Um, this is not the card that, it, this, is, this is just a picture I drew, I, I, like, uh, but there were, I, I, uh, my daughter goes to this uh, school, and it, it's, a, it's a Christian private school. And then, uh, you know, I always think that, assume that, you know, when you go to a Christian private school, there'll be Christians, <laughs> right? And then, and the parents would be Christian as well. And then, uh, but then uh, what really gets me is that, uh, you know, no matter how hard, uh, how many times I, I, uh, I try, I find myself every week, almost every week, I have to tell somebody to not, you know, do something that would uh, be unneighborly-like. Uh, things like don't park at a guy's lawn, you know, on a guy's lawn. Don't, don't double park. Don't block the, the, the lanes, right? Don't, but don't do this. Right? Don't, don't move the cones. You know, when, when the school plays cones, don't move them so that, and then park there, right? Um, and you notice that there's a, and then I go, because, and then so the principal, I, I tell the principal, and the principal, bless his soul, he emails in and says, you know, we have to be more Christ-like. We have to be more like Jesus, so we have to love our neighbors, so stop doing it. And yet people continue to do this. So should I give up this whole endeavor? Should I continue to like, uh, do this, or should I just like, give up and just say, you know what, the world's like this, meh, <laughs> right, and give up? Or another one, like, how about personally, right, relationally? Like, I ever had this uh, time when, uh, um, you know, you meet with uh, people, your, uh, either your family or friends, you know they're going on the wrong track as it is, right? You're, they're, they're heading off a cliff, and they're, 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 they're just making the wrong choices, right? And you keep on telling them, like, you know, you go, you know, very lovingly going, well, are you sure? Are you sure you, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of like, you know, heading that way instead of the right way, right? Like, you're heading off a cliff, yet they continue to accuse you of being judgmental, self-righteous, or whatever, right? And then, then they do head off a cliff. And then you go, oh, what's going on? Why? Why do we keep doing it? Or another one, uh, like, uh, just people, like, you wish that people just, uh, uh, you know, have a self-reflection. You know, like you're looking at the way, like ever find yourself like uh, I'm not saying that it's literally, but you want to like sometimes say, can you just look at yourself in the mirror and just reflect a little bit, you know, before you say anything, before you put any judgment on anybody else, you know, just you know, huh, just chew on it for a bit. Yet you know, it's and then they keep doing it and doing it, and it's hard. And then what's even worse is us personally, uh, like. For me, like, uh, I just shared with my small group uh, recently, and uh, you know, I go to Edmonds Community Center, right, a, a community center gym, and then uh, my biggest pet peeve is people who do not wash their hands, right, after when they go to the bathroom, and then, uh, you know, here I am, you know, going like this, and then, uh, and then I, and I see this, uh, this uh, gentleman, like, uh, out of the toilet and out, and I'm like, <laughs> you drastically missed a step in the Western world, you know? <laughs> you know, like, uh, you know, you just skip one important step. So I yell out, out of my frustration. And then I go, you know, blah, 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 wash your hands, I do not want to touch your internet when I'm working out there, right? Then I repented. <laughs> and I go, what have I done? What happens if this person comes right through those doors? And Henry and I talk about And I go, and Henry tells me, please don't tell me not to shake his hand. <laughs> but, you know, Henry walks through, like, what happens if this gentleman walks through the door and sees that this is the very guy who's standing on the pulpit who yelled at him for not washing his hands, right? And then I'm like, oh, what have I done? Ever felt like giving up then? Going, man, this Christian gig is so difficult, right? And not only that, there's a, like, you know, opposition, 
right? Uh, like this, the, the world is quite hostile now. To, to it, it, like when we say that we're Christian, uh, I still remember our community day. You know, when we're asking for you know some uh, sponsorship money for it, when when they realize that it's Christian, they go, oh, uh, we don't support much of the whole religious thing, right? And I'm like, cotton candy's religious. It's like, you know, like you know, bouncing. It's like it's that that hesitancy, that immediate judgment. There, it's not like they're not nice. They're just hostile nice. <laughs> you know, like they're just being polite about it. So there's opposition there as well. And what's even worse, and I have a, a few friends that we just talked, I chatted with a, a few of my old friends uh, last night over dinner, it's the opposition from within the church. I'm sure many of us have experienced that. You know, like we sometimes say, well, they're brothers and sisters in Christ, they're friends. How can you possibly do that to fellow Christians? Whatever that is. And then, then we go, no wonder people feel like giving up this whole Christian thing too. I have many friends that have left the faith, left Jesus altogether, because if this is it, if this is Jesus, why should I be here? Right? This, is, this is more hurtful than being at the YMCA or the YWCA. Ever feeling giving up there? It's tough. And you know what, folks? This is the, uh, what stuck out with me when I read Acts chapter 13 to 21. There were many disappointments that Paul endured, much opposition. And uh, I want to start off right in the beginning with the latter chapter of Acts 20. And so if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, verse 18. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. See, Mr. Rogers, uh, in the previous scene, uh, the whole documentary uh, was actually focused uh, primarily on the theme of him trying to make a change in the world, especially in America. Trying to make a change saying that no, kids are valuable. Children should be treated as children, loved children, so that they can enable them, that we are to equip them to love and to be loved, right? And, then, uh, and also equip them to manage their emotions carefully and wisely, to be able to be empowered to manage that, their emotions. And he was going on an uphill battle because it was against television, mainstream television. And then, uh, so throughout that whole documentary, he, uh, he, there was one pivotal point where uh, his wife, uh, um, after when he died, he, uh, his wife found a, a shoebox of letters that he wrote to himself. And there were that many times where uh, Mr. Rogers just felt like giving up. But then it almost seemed like that God was speaking to him through these letters and saying, no, Fred, get up. Keep going. I'm with you. How can we do that too? Because his opposition was his brethren, his American brethren. It's like, it's his own people that he was going against. It was his very Christians that he was going against too. So how did he get, keep going? So I'm, I found this really um, fitting that Paul too is asking that same question. How do I keep going? 
How do Peter, like when we read Paul and he's faced with so much opposition from 13 to chapter 13 to 21, how does he keep going? Because one of the biggest discouragements that I find, and he has encountered as well for Paul and Mr. Roger, is that the biggest opposition is actually from within. It's the very people that we feel that are allies, that are supposed to be our friends. See, throughout my eight years worth of ministry already, I've encountered, you know, opposition from fellow Christians. So, and, it's, and it, it, it is hurtful. Like, I know, I understand that we uh, uh, use these terms and phrases like, oh, they're fallen people just like all of us. We're broken and et cetera, et cetera, right? But it still darn hurts, <laughs> right? When, uh, whenever we try to, you know, proclaim the gospel, to try to move forward, to try to break through this uh, glass ceiling that, uh, that this, uh, the world has given us, it hurts when our brethren, our brothers and sisters do not support us, but rather oppose us and accuse us and judge us, doesn't it? And so how do you keep going? How do you keep going with all this opposition, not just from the world, from the Gentiles, but also from the very people that you call friends? And so here we go. Let's move on to Acts chapter 13. This is what he says then. He goes like this, as Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who taught with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. Hold on. Wait a minute. Aren't these the same Jews from the beginning? Yeah. They suddenly turned around and went against him. Ever felt that too? You know, things were going really going well, well long. Um, I know some pastor friends of mine, you know, they call it the first year the honeymoon stage, <laughs> where, you know, everything's great, you know, going along. And then suddenly, the same people you were serving and helping and thought they were friends turn around and go, bam, right back at you. Well, this is what happened here. These, these Jews, the same Jews that were, you know, following uh, Paul and loving how, what he te- taught, then when these uh, crowds of Gentiles came, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. But the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. Oh, by the way, uh, just off to attention, for those who are Bible study people, like really gurus, keep that verse when you read 1 Timothy, all right? <laughs> like, you know, when, the, when they say, uh, like, uh, women should not speak, etc., etc. Don't forget that this is the place where Paul was referring to, okay? So they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. See, it's funny, hey? Like uh, our Christian journey and our Christian faith, things go very well in the beginning, right? Everything great. And then there's a thing called discipleship, <laughs> right? Well, like, uh, I always joke around with our new baptizees. Uh, man, unfortunately, too bad that when we get baptized, we don't die right there, right? You know, and it just, you know, so we don't have to go through all that temptation, all that discipleship and everything, because that's hard work, right? But it's, unfortunately, we don't. We continue on. And, uh, and then suddenly we realize, man, this Christian journey is getting hard. This uh, following Jesus is quite hard. And uh, there's a lot of opposition, even within the church and outside the church. We, there's just, it's all broken. It's very fallen. We have a very broken and fallen world that we encounter. And so Paul and Barnabas 
so do they, so do they encounter. So how on earth do they get above this? How on earth do they keep on going? Because man, it doesn't just happen here. I just gave you one example, but it happens in chapter 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, all the way to the end of Acts, actually. They keep on facing opposition. See, a little bit about myself. I, I haven't really told you about much about my history. And so I'm going to get, elaborate a little more about myself because I find it very difficult as well as not just a pastor, but I've done this for a while. Uh, the, the ministry that I run is called Company of Disciples, and uh, I serve the business professionals in downtown Vancouver, trying to find innovative ways to introduce the gospel to people that are quite critical of the gospel. And usually it's those guys who think that they're really smart, which is downtown, <laughs> in the business professional sense. And so, um, you know, I, I, I dialogue with them. Uh, I have met, uh, if you know me, if you follow my work, I dialogue with atheists, I dialogue with agnostics, humanists, science folk, the folks in the LGBTQ++ communities, and, and you know, I share uh, a table with them and just to have a conversation with them. Unfortunately, sometimes like uh, these conversations, uh, uh, people, other people see it, especially uh, fellow Christians, and they see it as, uh, they go, it's like death by association. Oh, if you're having a dialogue with an LGBTQ person, it means that you're supportive of them, and therefore, if you're supportive, you're against us, and boom, you're cut, right? And I felt, wow, that's quite hostile, right? To somebody, when you were trying to be hospitable, uh, it's like you get criticized left, right, and center. I still remember I invited um, uh, a bunch of uh, Vancouver School Board trustees from the Vancouver School Board to talk about Soji, you know, Soji 1, 2, 3, right? And, in a, and you know, uh, two of the Vancouver School Board trustees are Christian. Uh, one of them is actually a good friend of mine, right? And so uh, I just told her, and then, but then because they offered a different, uh, different perspective of, uh, of Soji, we all got into trouble. And the like, rumors traveled really quickly, and the opposition again came up, saying that, how dare you, you know, if you're not for us, you're against us, right? How dare you, you're not anti, you're pro, blah, 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 right? So I, I had a lot of that. I had like, uh, you know, anti, pro, things like that. And it's interesting, like, um, my reputation is, it just basically became like this. Oh, Jonathan, like, uh, he's too liberal to be a conservative, but too conservative to be liberal. Where do, you, where do you stand in that now, right? You're like a totally in trouble there. You can't go anywhere. So one could get really discouraged, right, with all this happening. Like you're trying your best to be Christ-like, open the table, invite people to that may not be invited to, to come to a church, but invited in a different setting to have a dialogue, to learn from each other, to try to pray over them, to allow the Holy Spirit to work in their lives and, and see where God leads in this. Yet uh, uh, others would uh, be against it. So was Paul. When uh, Paul was uh, dialoguing with the Jews, right? The Jews loved it. They were, yeah, right? Like, yeah, heart, rock on, right? But then when the Gentiles came, you know, those guys who eat roast pork, I'm just saying, Gentiles, right? <laughs> okay, like when the, when, the, when the roast pork came and the bacon started frying, what happened? The Jews became jealous. They said, what? This is only for us. Right? It's not for them, those sinners. It's only for us. Right? And I realized, wow, Paul went through the same thing. <laughs> right? So it's encouraging to know that this is just what Paul has faced as well. And so what we could take from Acts from this morning is that, okay, Paul, 
let's move on then. How did you deal with it? Because what, however you dealt with it is how we're going to deal with it today. Because all that opposition that you face, man, history repeats itself. Because we're facing it today. How can we find the energy, the endurance, and the willingness to run without becoming jaded and just give up? Right? And that's why I titled my sermon, Running Unjaded. Because many times, we as Christians, I know of quite a few, that do become jaded, that do just give up because of all the opposition, left, right, and center. How, through Paul, through, these, uh, through this Acts, where can we learn, what can we do? Where, what, what can we learn from this? Of, okay, now we know that Paul has faced opposition that we have faced. What does he do? Let's move on. Acts chapter 20, verse 23 to 24. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Lesson number one. I have learned from Paul that Jesus does not promise safety and security. He does not promise sunshine and rainbows when you receive him as, his Lord, as your Lord and Savior. When he calls you to, be, to become Christ-like, to imitate him, it does not mean that everything will be honky-dory from this day forward. Boy, Jesus does guarantee that you will pick up your cross to follow him. He will guarantee hardship and persecution. He does guarantee that we will face opposition and because this is a fallen world and we are his agents to redeem this world together with God. And so, when we face opposition, face these criticism, we can be assured that we're following Jesus. That this is, we have full confidence, just like Paul, that when we are faced with opposition, when we're doing our very best, allowing the Spirit to drive us to fulfill His purpose, and to continue to live out this gospel that He has given us, and to try to reach out to the very people that are unreached, and yet still endure hardship, and persecution and judgment from all sides of our lives that we can be confident that we are following Jesus, that we are following Jesus' footsteps. Because Paul found confidence that he is too. We are, <laughs> following Jesus guarantees hardship and persecution. But what we can be confident in and what we, what we can find joy in is that ultimately at the end of the race, we are glorified, that we will be with him that we will be in the presence of God, and God would say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. You're here. Well done, my child. You're here. You're with us. You're with the great amount of priests and priesthoods. You're here. They're cheering us on, folks. Don't give up. Second lesson that I found in this is that Paul considered his life worth nothing. Man, what did he mean by that? Right. I kind of like my life, right? What, you want me to just liquidate, right? And, uh, and it's just like liquidate all my assets and stuff and, you know, just uh, live like St. Francis? Maybe. I'm not saying that that's not possible, right? But then I'm like, okay, what does he really mean by consider nothing, his life nothing? Well, as I said about, uh, remember the, like I just alluded to it throughout a little tangent saying that, uh, you know, mark down this verse to read other uh, letters. Anytime you read a letter in Paul, Remember to read Acts, because it's where he came from that he wrote the letters, right? 
And Acts is where he came from, right? And so when he said this, I consider my life worth nothing. You should ask, and we should all ask, where have I heard that before? Right? Where have I heard that? Let's go. This is where we heard it. Philippians chapter 3, verse 3. For it is who we, we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his Holy Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And here he goes. He says this, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee as for zeal, persecuting the church as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. He's perfect in the sight of Jews, all right? But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss, right? For the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. Okay, that's the NIV, but in the NASB, you say, I consider them nothing, okay? That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. That's where we found it. That's where we heard it. It's in Philippians. Chapter one of the famous book written by Rick Warren was The Purpose Driven Life. Uh, chapter one, does anyone remember the title? Chapter one, sorry? It's not about you, or it's not about me. I can't remember, it's not about you, it's not about you. yeah. Anyways, it's not about me. That was chapter one. A Purpose Driven Life, and in chapter one he goes, it's not about you, by the way. <laughs> right? Why do we sometimes feel like giving up? Why do we sometimes feel a little jaded, feel jaded? Why do we feel criticized? Why do we feel that people are attacking us? Why do we feel that people are judging us? It's because sometimes, maybe, we think that everything has to do with us. That whatever we're doing, the missions work that we're doing is by our own strength and by our own power, by our own accolades, by our own capacities, by our own intuitions, creativity, by our own bravery and boldness. We forget that really, ultimately, Jesus is in us and he's doing it in us. And so, therefore, they're not criticizing you. They're criticizing who? Jesus. They're criticizing the Holy Spirit's work. And therefore, when we feel jaded or uh, a little bit cynical, skeptical, we're really saying, we're, we're actually sinning ourselves, putting Jesus aside. We're actually saying, no, I feel this way because I did it, right? But really, Paul is actually trying to encourage and say, no, they're not attacking you. They're attacking Jesus. They're attacking who's in you. And so we shouldn't be feel jaded at all. We go, well, you're attacking uh, uh, Jesus? Well, <laughs> good luck to you, right? You're not going to win at all, right? Uh, do you recall Phoebe Chan, our speaker, um, the lawyer? Remember how she was at her first uh, court case? And then she saw this man up at the, uh, his op her opposition, right, uh, on the other side. And he had this beautiful robe, you know, lawyer robe, and her with this junior robe, black, just all black. And then, the, and then she goes, ooh, nice robe, right? And then he goes, yeah, I am on the queen's council, right? And then she, and then she goes, what did she say? I'm the, son of, I'm the child of God, so there. <laughs> right? You know, he just said, and then she goes, I'm the child of God, so there. Yeah, right? You know, so, you know, she has the right mindset, doesn't she? It's like, it doesn't matter what the images are or anything that's going against her. She's the child of God. So there. Right? And so for us, 
we should find encouragement in that as well, is that if Jesus is in us, who can it be against us, right? And if, Je- if Jesus is in us, when people are trying to criticize us, that's, what, that's our attitude that should be. If anyone's trying to stop us or judge us or spread rumors against us because of the things that we, we're called to do of what the Holy Spirit wants us to do, it's nothing, nothing. Last lesson. Paul goes on to say, I'm testifying God's grace. And so therefore, for me, I'm testifying God's grace first and foremost. You know, in my line of work, it is very hard to, it's very easy to forget that simple lesson. There's so many times I want to like, because I graduated from Regent College, I'm a seminary grad, I got this MDiv from Regent, I got educated by Rick Watts, Gordon, whatever, right? And I'm going, yeah, I'm full of tools, I'm all in my pocket, the artillery, right? I'm going to shoot down every single criticism there is, right? I'm going to exegete you to death, my friend, right? That type of thing. And like, however, I forget. There are many times I I tend to slip up and forget that, wait a minute, what is really important in this whole gospel thing? It's God's grace. And therefore, those people who, uh, people who are opposing us, people who attack you personally, first and foremost, what is our first calling? The first thing that we need to always have our call to do is to testify God's grace. And what is that grace? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. The ability to forgive others because God has forgiven us. He is, our, he is my Lord and Savior. This grace that has been offered to me has re- that I receive made me new. Made me new and continues to make me new each day. This grace that I have received means that I'm reborn. I'm a child of God, continually being made in Jesus' image, so that ultimately when I become become glorified, I'll be with him. This grace that was offered to me, I am called to offer to others. And therefore, when others uh, uh, continue to ridicule or judge or put opposition against us, ultimately, the grace is supposed to overflow out of me to give to them. The grace that I have is abundant. And so when Paul says, it, like he testifies to this grace, by all means, that's the first thing that we need to testify when we get attacked, is to testify to God's grace. Testify to God's grace, proclaim the good news of grace to others. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it is hard to continue this race. But this race is empowered by grace. It's empowered by God's grace. It's empowered by knowing fully that you are God's child, forgiven for what you've done in the past, what you're doing today, and even the stuff that you don't have, no clue that you're doing tomorrow. You're forgiven. There's a reason why Jesus says done. Done complete. And therefore, knowing that fact, knowing that truth, you have now have this abundant grace that's supposed to overflow out of every single orifice in your body. I know it sounds gross, but you know, that's just a metaphor. But then when people persecute you, judge you, that grace should just be automatically sensed. That forgiveness should be automatic. And that is what drives us to continue this race unjaded. And therefore, I want to leave you with this passage that I always hold on to at, you know, in my ministry work. And I hope that you hold on to this in wherever you find yourself in your own context. Because I firmly believe that this is what Paul was, mean, was alluding to in Acts as well. When he was thinking about, man, should I go to Jerusalem or not? Because I know I'm going to be thrown into jail. I know I'm going to be opposed by my own peers. Even the guy that I play poker with, he's probably against me. You know, that type of thing. 
right? Why am I doing this? And I'm finding myself always leaning into this passage. So turn with me to 2 Corinthians, or you can look it up on the screen. It goes like this. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. All of you are called to your own ministry. You have your own calling in your own place. You may be uh, in your own workplace. You're called to reach out to your coworkers or you want to change culture in your workplace. You want to uh, change a person. You want to make a per like help love this person and love a, this coworker that is incompetent maybe. You want to find reconciliation with him, right? All of you are called to do something right now. And, you're, and maybe you're finding it tough. So therefore, Paul knows this. So therefore, since through God's mercy, you have this ministry. We all have this ministry. We do not lose heart. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but never abandoned. Struck down, but never destroyed. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, outwardly we may not get the accolade, outwardly we may feel depressed, outwardly we may be beaten up, outwardly maybe uh, there's defamation, our reputation is uh, like being destroyed by other people, right? Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, folks, we could say, right? But what is unseen? 